fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Oh, hello. It's you. Welcome back to the podcast. Here's what we got in store for you this week. Hi, I'm Darren Strong from scalablemsp.co.uk. We'll be talking about retaining talent and using data in your business to execute on your strategy and your legacy plan. And that interview with Darren is later on in the show. We'll be talking about how you can better retain your staff and also use data to grow your business. We'll also be talking this week about LinkedIn Live. Is it a useful tool to get more clients for your MSP? Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Literally just before I recorded this week's podcast, I've just re-recorded some new onboarding videos for my core service. It's called the MSP Marketing Edge. And one of the challenges that I set for our new members in those onboarding videos is to try to find at least 60 minutes and ideally 90 minutes every single day to work on their business as opposed to working in their business. What's the difference between the two? Well, working in your business is admin, definitely technical work. Uh, You could argue chatting to your staff about stuff. That's all working in your business. The, The only real activities working on your business is stuff that gets you brand new clients, stuff that gets your clients to buy more often from you and stuff that gets your clients to spend more every single time they buy. Those three big activities, those are the definition of working on your business. Now, many MSPs really struggle to find time every day to work on the business, especially if you're a small business and it's just you and a bit of help. It's certainly the bigger the business, the more resources you have, the easier it is to spend more time working on your business. But everyone and I truly believe this, everyone can find 60 to 90 minutes a day to work on the business. And typically, this certainly in the early years, this has to be done at a time when perhaps other people aren't working. Put another way, some people get ahead in the time that other people waste. Now, I, I built, so I've built two businesses from scratch now, and the, the very first one, which I started in 2005 and sold in 2016, it was a marketing agency, not, not in technology and healthcare. That business was built in the first probably six or seven years at five in the morning. Now, I don't do this anymore because I'm too old and because I value my sleep. And also, I I don't need to do this anymore. I would if I absolutely had to. But back then, I would get up at 5 a.m. every single weekday. I tried not to work weekends because it's important to have a complete break. But every single weekday, I would get up at 5 a.m. and I would work for 90 minutes on the business. So by the time my family was starting to rouse from their deep slumber at 6.30 in the morning, I'd done 90 minutes worth of work. Now, to put that in context, I literally got out of bed at 5am. I microwaved, you know, a mug of coffee that I'd prepared the night before. And, and, I was, and I was sat at my desk, in my office, in my house, you know, hair everywhere, smelling, you know, in, in pyjamas. Don't wear pyjamas to bed, but you get the idea. So, uh, you know, we, we're not talking any kind of presentable, not looking all gorgeous as I am right now. We're talking literally stinky breath, 
fallen out of bed, but I'm on it. In fact, I, I, I was such in the habit for this. I used to fall out of bed at 5 a.m. And instantly, as soon as I woke, my brain was like, right, we're doing this and this and this and this. Let's see if we can get that done in 90 minutes. And you know what it's like when you have a deadline. And mine was an immovable deadline. At 6.30 a.m., people were waking. Child was, you know, child was young back then, very young. Child would wake up. Uh, there is activity. Can't focus anymore. So I pretty much built that business in the first five, six, seven years from 5 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. And I would go into work, I would get to my office at let's say 8.30 a.m. and my staff are bombarding me with daft questions as they do. And it didn't matter because I felt epic, absolutely epic because I had already done the most important thing. It didn't matter what happened and how my day was completely ripped away from me by clients and by staff. Um, and other people, I'd already done the most important thing. And there were perhaps a handful in those number of years, a handful of times that I didn't get up at 5am and work on that business. And, you know, we reinvented that business several times. It's not, it wasn't a linear thing that it started to, you know, we started in 2005 and it grew linear in a linear way up to 2016. I struggled with that business for a good five to six years. We didn't get any traction with it. I had to reinvent it a number of times. And then we, we just found a model that worked, which was to say that was a marketing business. So I don't need to go into the details of that. The point is the work that was done in the morning. Some people get ahead in the time that others waste. So my challenge for you is this. If you are desperate to grow the business. I mean, truly desperate. You really want it. It's like, it's got to happen this year. We're already a couple of months into the year, or certainly at this point of the year, you've got to do something different. And that means finding time to work on the business, getting more new clients, getting those clients to buy from you more often, and getting those clients to choose to spend more every single time they buy. You need 60 to 90 minutes every day. Now, 5 a.m. might be too extreme for you, but what about 6 a.m.? What about 10 p.m.? What about Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings? I mean, a, an hour a day is better than trying to do a four-hour block on one particular day because it's too easy to lose time on that four-hour block. But actually, something is better than nothing. What's the time that you're wasting? Where's the dead time? And how could you refocus that back in on working on your business and achieving the things you so desperately want to achieve this year. Here's this week's clever idea. Usually when I give you a clever idea in this podcast, it's something that either I've tried or a friend of mine has tried somewhere or an MSP has tried. I try not to bring experimental ideas into this podcast. However, I'm going to break my own rule today because I have an idea that I would like someone somewhere to test to see if it's worthwhile. And there's, there's not a lot of risk in this. It's not going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a little bit of time, but it could really make you stand out. And as we have been talking about uh, on the podcast, I think it was last week we were talking about this. Do you remember me saying last week that samey kills sales? You've got to stand out and be different from all the other MSPs. So here's my idea. There is something in LinkedIn called creator mode. Now, this is something that was only introduced, it was either about a year ago or maybe just late in 2021. But creator mode is where LinkedIn, you, you essentially turn on a different type of LinkedIn. I have, I've had this going for about 45 weeks or so now. And in creator mode, people can't just connect to you, they can follow you because you're creating content. So for example, you may have heard me talk about LinkedIn newsletters a lot because LinkedIn newsletters are awesome. And LinkedIn newsletter is where you publish a newsletter uh, once a week, say, and you can build up a list of subscribers. And these subscribers are separate to your LinkedIn connections. You can only do that when you're in 
creator mode, you can Google how to turn on creator mode. It's fairly easy to do. Um, but the whole point of creator mode is you are creating content. One of the other tools, and I'm sure there will be many other tools that LinkedIn are working on and will release down the line, but as well as newsletters, one of the other tools that LinkedIn offers to you is the ability to go live. So we've seen this before. Facebook has been doing this for, oh my goodness, it must be a decade at least, where you can go live on Facebook. And do you remember when that first came out and everyone was just going live all the time? I My first ever Facebook Live was me drunk uh, walking back from a train uh, back to my house and I was live streaming going to a kebab shop, which is embarrassing. In fact, I had to delete that video because I didn't realise that when someone connects to you on Facebook uh, the first piece of, for, for the first time, the first piece of content they see is your most popular content. That was my most popular content. So that, that wasn't necessarily once I wanted new friends and MSPs I was connecting to to see. Anyway, I digress. On LinkedIn, you can just go live. You literally, you press a button, you go live and you are broadcasting a video. It occurred to me that LinkedIn Live is cool, but what if you use LinkedIn Live to try to achieve what we're doing here? What if you did a live broadcast, kind of like a podcast on a regular basis? What if every single, I don't know, Tuesday, at 7 p.m., you went live on LinkedIn just for 15 minutes to talk about how to use technology to make more profit out of your business or to be more productive. In fact, it could be the Productivity and Profit, uh, the Productivity and Profitability podcast. Try saying that after you've had a few beers, Paul. Um, wouldn't that be cool? Because pe people remember, ordinary people don't really care about technology per se. They care about what it can do for their business. They care about profitability, productivity, all of that kind of stuff. So doing a formal podcast like this, where you have to record something and edit it and put it on all the platforms and promote it and all of that, it's, it, don't get me wrong, the rewards are great. We have a huge audience. We get loads of MSPs talking to us and joining our services because of this podcast. And thank you for being a listener or a viewer, depending on which platform you're, you're consuming this on. But it is a lot of work. I do a bit of work and producer James, say hi, James. Ah, oh, hello, hello. Producer James does tons of work on this because he's actually the secret weapon. Um, a quicker way to get going with a regular broadcast is just to do that live on LinkedIn. So, challenge there. Do you fancy that? Do you fancy giving it a go and seeing if this is the thing for you? If maybe you could be one of the first MSPs to start doing a regular podcast, which of course your LinkedIn connections would see as well. I'm just thinking actually 7pm on a Tuesday wouldn't do it. You want to do it kind of during the workday. So maybe like maybe at lunchtime. Lunchtime would be a good time to do it. Could you be the first or one of the first MSPs to start doing a lunchtime once a week live broadcast on LinkedIn? If you do, do it for at least three or four weeks. See what kind of reaction you get. You won't get a lot of reaction, but the goal is to be doing this consistently. And just drop me an email and let me know, would you? Because I'd like to watch it, see what you're doing. And also, of course, see if it does actually help you start conversations with prospects. That's the whole point of all of our marketing. It's engagement and moving prospects forward further and further and closer to you becoming a client or then becoming a client of yours. So if you do do this, just drop me an email, would you? It's hello at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. Paul's, Paul's blatant plug. Right, hang on two seconds. The um, postman's just been, and I just want to see what's in today's mail. So, uh, okay, we've got a, a flyer there, a bit of junk mail. That's no good. Uh, a bank statement. Which banks still send out statements in the post? Well, clearly my bank does. Oh, and this is much more interesting. Look at this. It's the Marketing Action Monthly. This is actually my own newsletter, my own printed newsletter that I send out every month to MSPs all over the world. Let's crack this baby open. Let's see what's inside this month. 
Let's have a look. Oh, look at that. That looks good. So inside this issue, we've got give LinkedIn newsletters an hour a week. I said I'd talk about those, don't I? Um, prepare your MSP now for the shift to MSSP, managed security service provider. And another one, your attitude and not your aptitude determines your altitude. Well, those are the those are the headlines. Uh, we've got here, what is this? 16 pages. I know exactly how long it is. I write this myself. 16 pages every month printed and sent to your door. See, the thing is, if you're serious about improving your marketing, actually getting something in your hands that you can read on the toilet is well, it's much more likely you'll read it and much more likely that you'll take action on it. In fact, we've even summarized on the back the action points that you should be taking. Go and have a look at this because this could be a game changer for you. This could really get you taking action on your marketing and making this year the year that things start to happen. There's a reason that we call it the MSP Marketing Action Monthly because it's all about getting you to take the necessary actions that really improve your MSP. You can see all the details of this and how to get it shipped to your door regardless of where you live in the world at paulgreensmspmarketing.com slash action. The big, big, big interview. Hi, I'm Darren Strong from Scalable MSP. We help MSP specifically to improve their operational, financial and data that they run the business on. And you're exactly the kind of person that all MSP should be talking to as we, you know, get going into this this newish year. I say newish; it's now February. I don't think it's a new year anymore, Paul. When you get to February, Darren, you actually have a, a pretty good, solid background in the MSP world because you own an MSP as well. Correct. Yeah. So we own MSP, which I think is more unique to us, even though we're a consultancy business, we're still in that world. So that world's moving very fast, especially security, et cetera, nowadays. So we're keeping in touch with that world. Uh, and I've been in that world for over 20 years now. Uh, first of all, helping other MSPs, uh, owners to build those businesses, and then the last three years running my own. So how did it talk us through your sort of your background and your history? How do you end up as a, a consultant to MSPs and the owner of one as well? So started off uh, in corporate IT, so doing corporate internal IT. Then I joined a business. So I went from a corporate IT team of about 240 people in IT alone to an MSP that had six people, helped that owner to build that business to a maximum of 50 people, uh, 6 million turnover, went through the recession, went through a couple of M&As, good and bad, uh, and then joined a peer group. Uh, and during that period, we learned a lot about running the business and getting the best out of those tools. Uh, and then I created my own MSP three years ago. And then off the back of that, just born out of demand, lots of MSPs that I knew from the peer group were asking me to help them with their businesses, operational, financial, and tools. Uh, and so born out of just that demand, we started to build a consultancy business. Uh, and now we've turned that into its own brand and, and we're driving that forward. That's awesome. I love it when MSPs or people who are working in MSPs are, are have that entrepreneurial spark and they spot an opportunity in the market because this marketplace we're in is so huge. It's 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 exciting when someone you know, sees something and absolutely goes for it. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for MSPs as we go throughout this year? So I think the biggest challenge is uh, actually retaining talent, retaining talent and hiring new talent. And what does that look like? Uh, and especially, I think we're not very good at nurturing our own talent. So we tend to go in uh, very knee-jerk reaction at the last minute. I need a tier three person. I need them tomorrow. 
versus actually let's bring on an apprentice and let's nurture that and create a nurture system of doing that. But of course, creating a nurture system is a is a ten year invest or a five or ten year investment in a level three tech, isn't it? And if you've got a, a demand for a level three tech today, and you've got more work and and it's too, too sophisticated work that, that your level two techs can cope with, that's not going to answer the question. So, or that's not going to fill the need, as it were. Can you can you see why uh, uh, MSPs are so tempted to cut corners and just just jump into you know finding the first half decent person they can find? You're not going to speak to any MSP that says, oh, I've got four hours spur today, so I think I'll do some planning. You know, we're all maxed out. We've all got no time. We're all firefighting. You know, customers don't tell us, thank you for, uh, you know, polishing my shiny server. You know, they're calling us with issues. We're in a negative industry. Uh, And so typically those owners as well are from a technical background. So they're not very... uh, you know, they're not comfortable planning and being in a planning phase of working on their business. Uh, and so there's no sort of forecast. There's no financial forecast. There's no hard data within the business for them to use strategically. The MSPs that I see over the last 10 years that have grown intensively, but also kept that margin on the bottom line and also grown well-established businesses that start to run on their own are actually people that have really targeted the planning and the sales, you know, they've turned their MSP into a sales business, not a technical mm. business, and they've got strong planning that helps them to look at resource demands, resource nurturing and training, and those openings within the organization that you can be strategic about rather than being knee-jerk reaction when you need it right now, which is probably six months later than you did actually need it. Uh, it's just yeah. that you're seeing that maximum pain right now. Yes, that makes perfect sense. I love that where you're talking about an MSP turning their business into a sales business that happens to deliver managed services rather than a managed services business that happens to need to do sales. There's a, there's a quite significant and dramatic difference between those two. Right, I'm going to come back on to um, hiring and retaining talent in a second. Let's just, you, you mentioned data a few times and obviously you're an expert at this. This is what you do. In fact, you, you don't just consult on it, you, you live it as well. What are some of the, uh, the the most important data points that an MSP can track and can actually leverage and use to, to make you know good decisions about the future? It all stems back to your service catalogue. So what are you delivering as a service, which can be a very hard question to answer if you've never done any planning or any documentation. So often I find when I'm consulting that actually we don't know what or we can't agree on what time the service desk opens, for instance. Uh, and so what services are you delivering and what are those pots? So if you've got a certain uh, IT pots, certain security pots, certain professional services pots, what is the revenue that those pots bring in monthly, quarterly and yearly? And then what is the COGS to those revenue? So how much does it cost you to deliver that service, whether that be software, tools, hard COGS, uh, fully burdened rate of individuals? then we've now got the true profitability of that service. Now we can start to plan. If we pull this lever on this service and we create 25% more revenue in this pot, what does that mean just historically? If we bring on an IT customer, it may be that in the first six months, we earn 25% of the revenue in professional services because we've got to do onboarding, we've got to do projects, we've got to get their networks to a certain level. We've got to document it. What does that look like across the different services that you provide? Then we can look at what's the financial plan moving forward. 
that then leads into what resources do we need to provide those services if we are successful? Then we turn that into a sales model and say, if we need to achieve X amount of lagging indicator, which is a sale, how much of the leading indicators like your outbound calling, your sales resources, your prospect meetings, your opportunity creations, how many of those do we need to actually hit that financial target? Now we've got a plan on paper to say, oh, we're going to take the business from A to B. But for the average MSP, that's like a thousand miles away from the way that they run the business now. Psychologically, yeah. what needs to change? What needs to shift for you to get to a position where you're going to go through the pain of putting a plan like that together? What I see is two things. It's either pain levers, but pain sort sort of, uh, you've hit the maximum of your pain threshold as an individual. So you're working the 60, 70 hours, you're not getting anywhere, you're not putting any more to the bottom line, the business isn't growing past, let's say 1 million or 2 million, whatever those ceilings are, and you're just fatigued. And it can't continue like this for the next 10 years. So that creates a, a stop. And at that point, you start looking around for what is the things I need to do. Or it's because someone's actually talked to you about your legacy plan and saying, right, okay, what do you want out of this? You're telling your wife, your spouse, I'm doing this for 20 years. I'm doing 60 hours a, day, a, a week. We will create this legacy, i.e. this retirement plan and this net worth. But actually, what is that? And so then when you start to track that back, you can see that, the business hasn't grown over the last five years, so how am I going to hit that target? So something has to change. And typically, that's the way that you're leading the business. It, typically, it's not because you've not got good people in the business. Typically, an MSP has got good people. It's all about are they in the, you know, are they in the right seats, and have they got the leadership and mentoring in place so then they can achieve what they need to achieve. I think one of the hardest moments for a, a newish business owner, let's say someone within their first three, four, five years, is when they realise that it it really is all on them. And I don't mean that they have to do it all, but that the you know the, the success or the failure of the business is a hundred percent down to them and their attitude and the way they think and more importantly the way that they act. Let's talk about the talent then, Darren. So we we started right at the beginning talking about retention and and you know how you should be keeping people and nurturing them and training them. For for those MSPs that do need an urgent uh, re recruitment fix, they need to fill a hole today. Talk us through some of the practical things that they can do, and then we'll, we'll come on to that that kind of long term nurturing. I think first of all, it starts off with what do you actually need. I see a lot of MSPs knee jerk reaction that they want a tier three. They get just an advert out there, but there's no there's no setup for success. So what is the job description stroke role profile? What does good look like? What sort of KPIs are they going to be held accountable to? What type of person does that need to be? What experience do they need to have? There's no structure around what does that actually need to look like because you're just knee-jerk reacting that I need that resource and I need it now and I'm going to basically employ the, same, the first person I meet on an interview. So I think it starts with what do you actually need? And actually, do you need a tier three person? You know, it may be that actually you've got tier one, two and three structure, but if you did an analysis, like I did on a customer a couple of months ago, you'll find out that actually your tier three engineers are doing a lot of tier two and a little bit of tier one, and your tier two engineers are doing a lot of tier one. So actually, if you hired two or three tier ones instead of a tier three, you could fix the problem. But is, you know, so is that actually the problem that you need a tier three engineer or is it just because the team say we're really busy and we need a tier three engineer? So I think it goes back to the data, then set them up for success. 
and then use some avenues, for instance, LinkedIn is a great one. Uh, and also there's some avenues that you can create on some platforms that allow you to look at the area that you're in and are, the, are any of those MSPs, are any of those employees putting their CVs up online, for instance? So uh, Indeed is a good one. They do one where you can subscribe to it. It will notify you if there's a certain category of individuals putting their CVs up. Obviously, you then can reach out to them and offer them a coffee uh, and go and speak to them, see what they're like. Uh, and then I think then it also leads on to a great onboarding. Again, I see so many people it's a knee-jerk reaction. You're six months behind the curve. You need them now. So the first day, they're put in front of the wheel and they're expected to drive the car just because they've got IT experience. You know, so yeah. what does that onboarding look like? How, you know, don't set them up for failure. Don't put them in front of a customer that they're going to go wrong. The customer doesn't forget. Then they're banned from working on that customer forevermore. Uh, you know, and that's just a spiral that happens. So I think, you know, that onboarding is is a key function that should take roughly three months. And during that, they should shadow individuals, they should shadow other team members in other departments to learn how your business functions and how they how they can have an impact, good or bad, on those departments. You know, if they don't fill out uh, a chargeable ticket correctly, how does that impact finance? How does that impact invoicing mm. runs? If they get to learn that, they can then change their behavior because of that. Uh, and then slowly introduce those items that you want them to be successful with because you've already got the role profile, you've already got the KPIs. Uh, and I can't remember the book now, but a real good methodology that I use is uh, painting what does good look like. So giving them live dashboards or reporting on a regular frequency, which means they can finish the day or finish the week knowing I've been successful. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, data around an individual needs to feel successful that isn't just that they got a paycheck or they got a pay rise of x it's because they feel successful in the business and they know they're doing a good job so you've got to enable them to be able to see that uh, and maybe even compare them against their peers you know if you're going to give them a kpi what are other people in their team achieving as an average so then you can work with them to get to that average rather than it just being your gut feel that they need to do more tickets I love that. Absolutely love that. And in fact, when you were talking about um, taking on someone with IT experience and on day one, just, just dumping them on your clients because they know IT, I was thinking a good analogy for that is commercial airline pilots. So as a, as a commercial airline pilot, you can fly a Boeing 747 from London to New York. But if you move on to a different kind of aircraft, let's say a Boeing 777, then you have to spend hundreds of hours transferring over. So the principles of flying the plane are exactly the same same but the actual setup of the plane is different and it occurred to me that, that that's actually a good analogy in fact you can steal that analogy darren if you want to that's that's yours that's great you can pop that one in your in your tool set um so yeah no, and you know no one would ex no airline would expect a, a pilot to transfer to a different aircraft without a dramatic amount of onboarding and yet as msps that's what a lot of msps do okay final final question and subject then let's let's come back to those level one techs that you were talking about earlier and one of, one of the things you said right at the start was let's hire level one people that we know can can stay with us for a number of years and can can perform better and and be upgraded and you know be promoted to being level two and maybe even level three what do you look for when you when you're looking for someone like that because you, you're not just looking for someone to clear tickets 
you're looking for someone who's obviously got the right mindset, got the right attitude and, and really wants it, but also will stick with you. I think that's got to be the critical thing. And that's that's hard because these days, you know, yes. d- different generations are used to flipping from, I, I don't know how old you are, Darren, but certainly, you know, I'm 48. And, and when I started my career, I was expecting to have three or four employers. And it, it worked out. It was probably around about right, actually. But, but then I started my own business, so everything changed. I think kids entering the workforce today are probably going into it expecting to have three or four employers in the first few years, you know, because they will flip from thing to thing to thing or from, from employer to employer where they, where they think they can get a, a boost. So what kind of people are we looking for right at the beginning that, that can go on and become our future superstars? So I think that goes back to the, you know, what's the culture of the business? What's the values of the business? And who do you provide your service? What what makes you different? And definitely the ability of communication. Uh, unbelievable is the telephone. You know, this era that we're looking at, don't want to talk on the telephone and can't talk on the telephone. So that's the first thing you've got to teach them. What's their telephone behavior going to look like? So I think you need to make sure that they're going to fit the culture you know, they've, they've got the values, they have a spark about IT, uh, they've, they've got a passion to, to grow and move forward, and maybe even an openness to ask. You know, they wanna, they're, they're inquisitive, they want to ask, but they're not scared. So they want to ask every, every little step of the way, they want to know more, uh, so they're inquisitive. And then you've got to set them up for success. So you've got to make sure that your ticketing system, whether it be built into your ticketing system as taskless, or whether it be external processes, so many times we put a, a, an apprentice or a tier one engineer on the front line and we don't get anything out of them for six months. They don't max our, match our expectations or match our uh, requirement of what it costs us uh, to employ them. So then we, we remove them mm. from the business. It's not their fault that we haven't set them up for success. You know, we've, we've made it where it's too complicated to read our documentation. There's no technical documentation. They don't know where passwords are. They don't know how to do certain things. So really structure your ticketing system so they can categorize a ticket and get a process. So every time they categorize a ticket, they get a process. They, they follow that process. They might have some automation on scripts that they run. They don't know what those scripts do. They just know what the output says. Then they might recategorize the ticket. And what you're looking for is that first 15 to 30 minutes, that, that A&E triage. You know, you walk into A&E, you go to a nurse, they triage you, and they move you on to X-ray, to a doctor, etc. That's what you're looking for, that first initial reaction. And you're looking for sort of 75 to 80% of your tickets being closed in that first 30 minutes. But the customer feels like they know exactly that they know what they're talking about, but we know the following some structure behind that. Uh, you know, It's not a rigid structure, so they don't become a robot, but they're following a, a step-by-step structure that is, is questions that aren't yes or no answers. So they can't passively read it. They've got to read it and give you an answer. You know, if it's a survey disk space, rather than it just being, is it low, yes or no, actually, is it is it low and what is the current disk space? That then means when they escalate it, the tier two engineer gets more details about it was at this size on this time. Now it's this size. How much is it consuming, for instance, if it does have to be escalated? So I think setting those tier one people up for success and I think also painting what the pathway is going to look like. Uh, often, if you don't paint that pathway, you will lose them to somebody else that may be offering them a thousand pound a year more. Uh, they didn't mm. realize that you weren't going to give them the thousand pound more, but it was going to be in three months' time when they equaled X. So, plotting that pathway out alongside certification, experience, KPIs, CSAT, etc., 
so they know what that next two to three years could look like if they want to be successful and what pace that could go at. Darren, you've been an absolute star sharing what you have spent many, many years learning the hard way. Uh, please tell us again the benefits of working with you and how can we get in touch with you? So you can reach us on uh, scalablemsp.co.uk. We're all about looking at the, the core of the systems, the process, the strategy, and enabling the, the business to grow, uh, but doing that using data. So we bring the best practices, but we're not just bringing one box. We bring multiple boxes, tailor that to your environment. And the biggest USP we've got is that we do the heavy lifting. So rather than you having to reconfigure your systems or build processes, we build those tailored processes and systems for you and help you to engage with them inside your business. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi there, my name is Paj Shalfors and I'm also known as The Price Whisperer. The book I recommend is uh, Crossing the Chasm uh, by Jeffrey Moore. It's an old book, but I read it every couple of years and it's all about how you elevate your company from being um, a company selling to early adopter, early adopters to uh, being a company selling to an early mainstream market. And that gap, that chasm, is where most companies fail. And the book tells you how not to. You read it. You love it. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Mark Gordon, the customer experience expert. Look for my interview coming up where I'm going to be sharing with you ways that you can create better, more efficient, more effective customer experiences to keep your customers coming back. Whichever platform you're watching or listening to this podcast on right now, please do subscribe so you never miss an episode. Because on top of that interview, we're also going to be looking at recruitment. And I've got a very specific and very clever recruitment tool that you can use to dramatically lower the amount of time and energy you have to spend trying to recruit great people for your MSP. We have more great advice and content to help you grow your business on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash MSP Marketing or just search for MSP Marketing in the search bar. And join me next Tuesday. Have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.